If you or anyone around you are affected by the subjects of today's podcast, you can reach out to get help, advice or support from our charity partners, Women's Aid, at womensaid.org.uk or the Yorkshire-based organisation, IDAS, at idas.org.uk. You can also find these links and reach out to us directly via our website, takebackthebeat.co.uk or email us at takebackthebeat.co.uk tour at gmail.com that's take back the beat tour at gmail.com hello there hello and welcome back to (gasps) take You can tell we're exhausted because we're just like, oh, God, play the jingle. <laughs> we're on tour, so it's, you know. We're tired. We're tired, but we're absolutely bloody loving it. Oh, good. Like, we're absolutely buzzing. Like, there's been many a tears of how amazing this has been and exciting. But at the same mm-hmm. time, the bags under my eyes do not say 30 anymore. They say 100. 75, yeah. I'm pushing yeah. 75 because my hair's got, my hair's white now. <laughs> oh babe the grey I dyed my hair obviously I've got bright red hair so I obviously did a re-dye the day before we did a mirror and was like oh that's a grey hair oh that's a grey hair there's oh, a grey one cover that mm-hmm. one up yeah well my nana was um, like white her hair just turned white didn't go grey just went oh, white oh that's cool so I am gonna in the next 20 years have a white afro I know it so I'm I either go with it or I think you I think you embrace it <laughs> I just I think go for it fully. To. Yeah. Yeah, fuck um, it. Embrace yeah. it. But yeah, the, it's so, definitely um, coming through quicker, being on top. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, right. Um, we're going to try and get as quickly to our guests as possible today because we've got a very, very exciting guest with oh yes, a hard-hitting story that we want to give as much time to. So Yeah, you don't want to hear us get... chirp on. Oh, God, absolutely no. not. Um if you've been coming to our tour dates, you've definitely heard enough of that. So, <laughs> um, on a scale of zero to a whole jar of Biscoff, Farah, how are you feeling this week? None. I'm buzzing. I'm ah. happy. I'm tired as hell, but that's <laughs> absolutely fine. Um, it's worth every second. Um, Great. Tour's amazing. So I just want to say thank you so much to everyone who's come. Everybody who's bought tickets, even if you would you couldn't make it for whatever reason, because obviously we did one on the Jubilee weekend. So we understand people <laughs> have got plans. But even those people who didn't come or have shared it, who have donated, like yeah. absolutely I love every single one of you who have been a part of it, even behind the scenes, everyone, like yeah. listeners. So that's my soppy post. I've got no biscoff. Um, wow. we're, popping, we're popping champagne this week, bitches. That's where yeah. I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, Farah's new rap track. There popping you go. champagne this week, bitches. Somebody take that and make it a jingle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree So what you. about I'm, you? What about, yeah, how, where were I, you at? Do you know what? It's been, again, I literally was just chatting to Aiden about this earlier. Like... It's been such a roller coaster this week. Yeah. Because not only have we been the artists on the stage, we have been the producers behind it. We have been the finances behind it. We've also mm-hmm. been the survivors that mm-hmm. are telling our story. So it's a lot of emotions. And like, we got off that stage at Omira, and my mum just like gave me a hug and was like, 
in very much crying um, voice was like, I'm so proud of you. And I just broke and was like, yeah. no, no, I can't deal with that right now. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I am. I'm so fucking proud of what we've achieved so far. And yet there's so much more we want to do. Oh, yeah. It's this that is, thing, isn't it, in life? Yeah. Like, you're never... The, the goalpost just moves. Like, it does. The fact yeah. that we got, we've got to the first goalpost this quick is why yeah. we're, is why we're turning grey. Because you and yeah. I are very much like, if we're going for it, we're going for it. Like, we, we're in. We're, we're, me and you are married now. We've had this discussion. This is a, yeah. a lifetime commitment. We are officially married. Um, this is, sorry, this is Aiden, I've got there before you. But... <laughs> I'm adopted anyway, it's fine. We've it had this fine. talk between the three of us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so it's it's a commitment, but it's the best one and it's so rewarding. And yeah, I know exactly what I mean. When I came off stage, my dad just hugged me. And do you know when they squeeze you in that certain way? And I yeah. literally, I, I started filling up, but you hadn't been on yet. And I was like, don't make me cry. And he just whispered mm-hmm. to me, he went, let it, he went, let it out come on and I was like, like no, no not no, yet, not yet. yet. I can't I can't yeah I was like not yet I need to just like take it all in but it was it was incredible and yeah it's yeah. like you said we've we're done there. everything we're you know we're promoters we're tour managers we're everything <laughs> and then we get on the we've stage learned, we've learned we've learned a lot like I know what a tech spec is now like, same how cool <laughs> are we what the fuck but yes yeah life life is good we are good and um without further ado let's get him we in. have um an amazing man called mike who um we're gonna let him tell his story rather than us give you any kind of insight on it yeah um but yeah it's it's a hard one today guys lots of trigger warnings mm-hmm. um yeah here we go let's bring mike into the room So we've got a lovely guest today who we've been trying to get on for a very long time. Um, who? So how, how do you know my sister? What's the crack here? Right, so your sister was, uh, or is a friend of Jay, who is somebody I used to sing and dance with many, many years ago. Um, and That's we kind of met on Jay's um, stag do. And then obviously met Kelly right. and then we went to Jay's wedding and obviously met there really. And I just remember her as the girl who wore all the lovely clothes and this like white suit that was all very aberesque and stuff. Oh. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> How random. It's, yeah, it's just so such a small world. Like literally my sister said to me, she was like, we we're on holiday and she literally just kind of nearly screamed and she's like, do you know who you need to speak to? And I was like... <laughs> Who? <laughs> um, so yes, we we have a lovely. I'm a, I'm saying it right on it. Mick. It's Mick rather no, than it's Mike. No, it's It's just obviously abbreviated on Facebook because of my job, so right. we change our names a little bit. But it's Mike. Um, Mike. And, okay. Yeah. And the surname's Taggart, not Tags. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, good for you. I love the uh, the animosity and the whole thing. Do you mind being named on here? Are you okay with that? No, that's completely fine. Like I say, it's fine. It's just because obviously it's people will search you on there. That's all. It's just to make it a little bit yeah. trickier for them. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, good this week we have the amazing Mike. How are you? Are you I'm good? good, thank you. Yeah, we're all good. Thanks. Great. <laughs> amazing. I mean, you popped up on my TV the other week. 
yeah. Well, this is um, kind of occupational hazard, really, when you work in this sort of arena. Um, and obviously, you've got a background, and, and you're quite willing to stand in front of the camera. It generally just drags you into it, really. And um, yeah, but yeah it's, it just happens all the time, really, uh, in work. Um, people like sort of jokingly call me the poster boy of North Wales now <laughs> because it kind of always pulls me into it. So yeah, you'll see my ugly mug in a few different programs. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, bless you. Well, I don't want to overshine you, so I would, I'd love you to tell us your story. Um, I know yeah. bits of it through Kelly and through the ITV programme that was on a few weeks ago. So um, feel free at your own time to kind of tell us why this cause is so important to you and why you were kind of willing to come on and talk to us, please. That's yeah, okay. sure. Um, so, yeah, domestic abuse um, for me is, is, is obviously my, my day-to-day job. Um, so I'm a police officer. I work um, specifically in the arena of domestic abuse, um, more so in strategic side of things. Uh, I've worked operationally with victims. So obviously when victims are in that process of trying to leave relationships like that and trying to, you know, make new starts... Um, basically working with them so that they can, you know, safeguard themselves properly so that the leaving decision they make um, is carried out with as much safety planning as possible. Um, so that's okay. generally how the, the work in day-to-day working goes. But obviously the, the driving force behind my job choice um, was obviously personal um, personal experiences of domestic abuse myself. So um, I was 15 when my mum was murdered by my stepdad. Um, and that was following um, years and years of domestic abuse abuse that I think we weren't really aware of as such we obviously heard it, my sister and I so I've got a sister who's two years older than me Um, and we we sort of became each other's um, support so when we could hear the arguments and things downstairs we would jump into each other's beds and you know sit and cuddle one another and talk out to drown the noise and things um, but oh, I think for me that was kind of like the, the extent of, of what I thought it was growing up. It was just arguing. And I think as a child just yeah. want to try and normalise whatever's happening to try and cope with it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that went on for many years. And, and I remember one time there was a, something that happened and, you know, we were in bed. And then I heard him screaming and shouting to, like, get off me. And as I went downstairs, my sister and I, we saw that he was being pinned to the floor by my mum's brother. So he'd obviously kicked off and um, I would have been, what, maybe about six or seven at this point. So we were sat on the stairs and watching all of this. Um, And then I remember a police police riot van, as they were, the the dark blue vans with the cages on the front turned up and police came scurrying in the house, like brushing past my sister and I upstairs as he ran to lock himself in the bathroom. Um, And then obviously for us, it was very much like, okay, what what the heck's going on here? You know, that was kind of the the norm really. But this was generally um, alcohol induced. It's it's always got the alcohol tag along with it. Um, But yeah, I think there was always kind of a lot of um, incidents like that, um, more so when they were drinking. um, And that went on for many years, the arguing side of things. But I mean, for, in regards to like sort of my sister and I, he wasn't, I wouldn't say he was specifically awful to us. Um, you know, he was quite um, good at like making our food, you know, the general father duties, if you like. Yeah. Um, but he really did get quite um, angry if you did something that he didn't like. So, for example, if um, I, I broke a photo frame and I was so scared of telling them that I lied about it. And he basically just chucked me in my bedroom and just repeatedly like smacked and smacked and smacked and smacked me until oh, God, I was like man. sort of, you know, crying. Oh, I, I generally, God. looking back at that, think it was um, more around like sort of disciplining your child. But I look back at it now and through my work now, see, actually, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not, not how you do it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and yeah, so obviously all these little flags are popping up and obviously I see and look back now and I can see them, but at the time it's just, it was just day-to-day stuff. Um, and then as obviously we got older, these arguments still continued and then when we moved house, um, and obviously I was in my teens at this point, um, the, the drinking continued. It was mainly at weekends because they both worked during the week. Um, and yeah. he would obviously drive lorries and work overnight. So at the weekend, it was you'd come home and you'd see his beers were plonked on the kitchen side. So you knew it was it, that was that. Um, yeah. And then um, I, I remember when I was younger, I always like sort of got up and, and like sort of did like sort of dances and copy dances off the telly mm-hmm. and always wanted to be involved in entertainment. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, my mum and my nan absolutely loved it. And every New Year, they'd push me up onto like the dance floor in the pub when we'd go for this like New Year's Day <laughs> um, thing that we did every year. And, you know, go do that banana rama dance. We love it when you do that. And they shoved me on. So I'd go on. And Amazing. They, they loved it. But, um, but he didn't. So he, he took great exception to the fact that I wanted to dance and, and he thought it was very um, effeminate, it was very like gay if you like um, so um, yeah that's what I always yeah. wanted to do my nan kept on saying I'll pay for him to go to dancing lessons and I'll do this oh. that and the other but um, I, was, I was never allowed, it was like sort of you know beneath me in the sense that you know you're going to end up turning into, uh, into a gay boy basically is how we used to wow. say it wow, that's and, so um, baffling yeah, how people's it, brains can work like that but yeah uh, and, that, and that's sure. it, isn't it? It's and, and I yeah. look back now, and it is—it's absolutely like sort of. I just can't get over how like sort of I've gone through life just agreeing like that as a child. But obviously, I was a child. But looking back, you just think, crikey, it's it's so yeah. unreal. Um, yeah. And then I, I remember specifically one day I was like sort of in the garage, and I had um, I had my like CD player, and I was I was doing dance routines in there, and he came in and he went absolutely ape. Um, and he got my sister's big giant green teddy and put a rope around its neck and then he threw the rope over these like beams in the garage and then oh, basically hung, hung this like teddy up and then he was drunk at the time Fuck. and then he basically kept on telling me to like sort of punch this teddy um, calling fun? me a so you can use the F expletive, that's fine then. So he was calling yep. me. <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, that's completely fine because it makes it, I can say exactly what was said. He said yep. like, you know, yeah. punch the fucking teddy, your big girl's blouse. And, you know, so I, I, I remember standing there crying and to the point where he was shouting in my face and like spit flying out. And he was just going mad saying to me, wow. punch the fucking teddy. And, and, you know, and I just refused and I ran out crying. And that was probably oh. more so when I was about 14. So See, that's, it was that's the time when you're trying to like deal with your emotions, deal with your so hormones, deal with everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean Discover I, I am, who you are. Exactly. I am gay and you know, and I knew at that point I was gay as well. So to have that kind of um you know, that that fear of thinking, Crikey, am I ever gonna be yeah. able to tell this person that I I'm gay and, and oh. how the heck do I ever broach that subject? And so there was obviously finding yourself and obviously trying to deal with where you're at. So, yeah. you know, that was generally how he was. And like I say, it was mainly when he was drinking. So when he was sober, he could be the perfect dad. Like, sort of, like I say, you know, we'd sit and have tea together and we'd sit at the table for dinner. Um, oh. But it was just this, this alcohol, this demon that would come out in him. And then I remember I was, what well, it was probably like sort of about the following year, I was 15 and I was working on the fair in, um, in Rail and my uncle came to where I was working and said, there's big trouble in Little China. And I was like, well, what does that mean? He said, oh, yeah. your, your dad, as we called him, he's, he's hit your mum. I was like, right, okay, is she, is she okay? He's like, yeah, she's fine. She's gone to Manchester to go to Uncle Ian, so, you know, she's going to be there for a few days. 
So that night I, mm. I called her and asked, you know, are you okay, what, blah, 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 and, yeah. and she said, yeah, and what he'd done basically, she'd been working um, and she was with the students, she was um, a tutor for um, like students with learning difficulties, and uh, so they'd been painting fences at the college because it was a lovely hot summer's day and they did that and then she um, stopped off on the way home with a friend and had half a cider in the pub and then she dropped her back off at the house. Him at home being drinking, uh, went into the street and basically got her dress and pulled it over her head um, and then slapped her thighs, her backside and and just like sort of basically slapped her like like a a child being disciplined, if you like, in the street. Oh my God. and for, for her, I think the humility of that was was the push. And that was when yeah. she kind of said, like, you know, I, I can't do that. Because the way I say it is, yeah. like, you know, we can all, like, sort of deal with things in secret because we can deal with our shame or however we deem it to be shameful, whichever. Um, but I think for her, the humility of it and the fact that people know that this secret abuse was no longer secret for her was a bit of a, a, bit of a push. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that pretty much was was the start. So this was in the July 1997. And I remember um, I, I said, right, well, I'm not going to the house. I can't bear to, like, sort of sit with him or whatever. So I stayed with yeah. a friend who, who my mum knew very well anyway, so she was happy for me to stay there. Um, but sadly, my sister, who was 17 at the time, she decided to stay at the house um, and sadly got pulled into his, like, sort of control and, and, and all that kind of stuff and oh, he blamed yeah. everything on mum you know this is what she's done so it's like basically as, as we know it now is that gaslight inside of mm-hmm. things so the blame is shifted yeah. onto them and yeah and that night uh, my sister went back and he'd taken an overdose um of like a mixture of tablets and a bottle of vodka oh, and she found God. him frothing at the mouth Jesus. Um, and basically she she had to call an ambulance you know and then he went there and then he was sectioned as a result of that um and then following how old was your the, sister at this point so she was 17 so i was 15 she Jeez. was 17 and um so oh, he obviously God. then was was in our like local mental health unit um and that's when all of the um the emotional blackmail started then he was contacting mum and, and saying you know oh, yeah if you just come back to me, I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. I won't do this again. And, yeah. you know, this is just because I'm so heartbroken about everything. And, you God. know, a key thing, like a key indicator in domestic abuse risk assessment now is the threat of suicide. So when yeah. someone yeah. threatens suicide, it really increases that risk of homicide to the victim as well. So these wow. are, are triggering effects that, you know, as, as police officers we use to identify that risk level. And now looking back, obviously, I see just how apparent it actually is and, and how real that is. Um, yeah. So naturally, I think mum being the, the, the soft, caring person she was, I think she felt responsible, gaslighted to the point where she felt he's done this because of me. Um, oh. So she went back to him that night. Oh, God. And we all went back to the house that night. And I was working through the day. When I arrived back home, the first thing I saw was cans of beer on the side. And I was like, oh, God. This isn't going to be good. He's literally been out of this place for like one or two days, whatever. Um, and that's what, what happened. So went to the house that night and I remember it was just it was just dead weird. We were just all sat in the living room. It felt very um, formal, not like a family. It felt very much like yeah. we were all sat there, you know, just not knowing what to say. Um, yeah. And so mum was sat in the chair over in that side and then he was on the settee um, in a pair of tracky bottoms, nothing else. Um, with all of his cans in front of him. And he shouted over to me, Mum, um, you know, what are you sitting over there for? 
you don't love me, do you? You know, why why are you sitting over there on your own? If you love me, you'd be sat here next to me. And she's like, I'm fine. Just 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 leave me alone. You know, I'm I'm, I'm just watching telly and it's fine. He's like, you've never fucking loved me, he said. And and then he got up then. And mum said to my sister and I, you know, just just go in the kitchen, just just leave for a minute. So she, she obviously knew what oh, was coming. God. So we went in there, and then when we went back in, um, you know, she started screaming at him and him screaming at her. So we called my uncle to come round. Um, so he did, and then he just said to us, right, just just stay in the kitchen with me, and we'll just let it ride out, and then we'll be fine. But the next thing I heard mum screaming, and then um, I basically, I was, I was what, 15, I was quite a big lad anyway, I was near six foot, so I just shoved, shoved past my uncle and, and basically just um, ran straight into the living room, and he was on top of my mum, so my mum was sat in a chair, and he was on top of her with his arms, like, sort of hunched over like that, in a face, screaming, yeah. like, you're my wife, and you'll do what I fucking tell you to do. Oh, my God. So Fuck. I grabbed hold of him by the scruff of his collar and dragged him off and just said, like, take your hands off my fucking mum. And he was like, don't you speak to me like that, I'm your dad. And I'm like, no, dad of mine would do this, just mm. get mm. off my mum. So at that, oh, that point, I just me. ushered my mum and my sister and said, right, just go round the corner to Auntie Wendy's because she lived round the corner. And that, that's what she did, and my sister and her ran out, and then he ran out after them, and I was somewhat, like, um, you know, in between, trying to stop him from getting to my mum, and I said, just go back in. Um, and after we had chased him around the garden to block him off for a bit, he eventually went back inside. Um, yeah. But that night, she they went to my auntie's house, and then the following day, we all went to my nan's house, um, where obviously the conversations with Nan and Grandad were had, and... Mum said, "Right, that's it. I've I've had enough. That's it. I'm 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 leaving him. I'm, I want a divorce." Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's that's what was decided. So um, she said to him that she was going to leave. She wasn't going back. She was going to get a flat. Um, and she could only afford a little flat on her own. Um, and she was going to like sort of try and sort something out for us, me, my sister, and mum to live in. Yeah. So she moved to this flat. Um. And, you know, she was there for maybe, what, about two or three weeks before anything happened. And I, I just remember that she'd actually said to him uh, one night, she said, like, you know, that's it. I, I want a divorce. I, I don't want to get back with you. I want it to be yeah. over. And um, he kind of just went all calm enough, like, you know, all right then, fine. And I think mum was a little bit set aback, really, that his reaction wasn't as, as aggressive or... But again, yeah. when he wasn't drinking, he wasn't like that as much. Yeah. So I think she kind of put it down to that. But I remember my nan saying to my mum, and it was so profound now, <laughs> Donna, you be very, very careful. You've just signed your own death warrant because she knew oh what he was God. like. Oh, Jesus, so, that's... Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah shivers. Um, yeah. And yeah. then... The following day, because Fuck. obviously she'd said, I want to make, a, I want a divorce, he said, right, well, we're going to have to sort of finances then because, you know, I can't, like, live with money and you, you're, we're going to have to balance something out. So they met at the bank. So my nan was like, just be careful, Donna. Don't, don't, you know, just keep your wits about you, basically. So she went to the bank with him. Um, everything was fine. Mum was like, yeah, he won't do anything. He's not been drinking and we're in the public, so he's not going to do anything. Oh, God. So after the bank meeting, it was probably, I think, around 20 past four that they left. Uh, about 10 past four, 20 past four, and mum walked back around to the flat that she was living in, stopped at the shop first, bought a bottle of milk. And then as she walked back to the flat, she waved at the lady next door in the window and then walked into the flat. And then that's the last time anybody saw mum. And then Nan was going to, to collect mum at five o'clock to take her to work. So right. she drove to the flat 
and then she walked into this like sort of little yard where the door was and noticed that the um, there was this big mirror just shining through the um, the net curtain that was hung up and she'd not seen it. So naturally right. peered through the window and um, she saw mum lying on the floor and she'd noticed that there was like blood around her face and, and her nose and things. Oh my God. Just I think assumed that, you know, he'd, he'd obviously beaten her. Um, so she basically mm-hmm. ran out screaming, as, as you can obviously imagine any mother would, so ran around yeah. saying, help me. And the lady next door who'd seen mum came with her husband and the husband like kicked the door in. Um, and as Jesus. they walked in, um, mum was obviously on the floor and she was covered in blood and the, the nurse, the lady was a oh. nurse and ran up to her. Um, but as she got there, she always said like there was this little like air bubble that just popped in mum's nose and that was like sort of indicative of the fact that that was probably her last breath because she pretty much died then and there. Oh God. Oh um, my God. So Jesus. he he was like next to her on the floor um, and basically he'd um, taken a 12-inch bread knife from the kitchen and stabbed her uh, 11 times. <gasps> and then after he's, he'd done this, he's then twisted the knife onto himself and tried to cause himself injury. Um, but by the time he'd actually um, used it on himself, the handle had actually come off the knife with all of the, like, sort of the force. Oh, my God. So if you can imagine a, a blade that's full of blood anyway and the, the pressure that you're going to be able to, to cause to yourself is, is going to be very limited. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was he was a staff sergeant in the TA as well, so if he wanted to do himself harm, Jesus. he would have known exactly what to do. Worth, yeah. So... Again, this was all about the worries me kind of status that that perpetrator will always try to to glean and to get yeah. and get people to feel sorry for him. Um, oh, but he no. was, um, I think he had, I think it was thirty six um, superficial wounds, basically just scratches, nothing that was deep or penetrative that was going to cause him any injury. <laughs> yeah. Um, but obviously, as they do, they take him back to the hospital just to check out. So. Yes, yeah, so that's obviously on that day. And I, again, I was working on, on the fair at the time. Oh uh, my by gosh. this time, I was working on a little ice cream store with my friend. <laughs> and uh, I, oh, I never forget, you. it was weird. I was stood there and then the police knocked on the door and they're like, uh, are you Michael? I'm like, yeah. And then you start thinking, right, um, shit, have I been caught like drinking in the park or when oh. I tried like something or have I done something wrong or, you know, and you get like really like sort of panicky. And then they say, you're not in any trouble or anything. And I remember at that point, my heart just flipped thinking, why, if I'm not in trouble, why are the police here then? What? And then obviously you feel that anxious, anxious feeling and that anxiety coming across. And what was going through my head when they said that was I thought, I reckon he's killed himself. He must have done. I mean, because he's tried it a few weeks ago. Maybe he's done it again because mum had said she was leaving. Um, And the the officer said very bluntly, and I know myself now from having to do agony messages, as we call them anyway, um, there is no easy way to skirt around it. You've just got to be straightforward and honest. So he said, um, there's no easy way to tell you this, mate, but your mum's dead. And I remember Fucking it's, hell. Oh, yeah, it's, it's still to this day, it's the worst, it always goes around. And I just, it, it was really, really weird. It just felt like um, everything just sort of went sort of black. And I felt like, you know, yeah. it's really daft. But you know these cartoons when they're like sort of like, um, the Coyote and Roadrunner, but they're on top of these cliffs that are literally just like these like yeah. long things. It just felt like I was so isolated on my own, just stood in this thing with nothing black around me. And I just remember thinking this can't be true and and so the only thing I could think about doing was to run off so I just ran away and ran to my other friend who was working up the road and I remember falling onto the counter of the the um the thing she was working on 
um, yeah. the police following me, and then the police took hold of me, and I, I, I like sort of kicked this officer and said, like, you know, stop lying and, and all this kind of stuff. And then, um, oh, God bless you. And then, uh, literally, my boss, who knew my family anyway, so she came out because someone obviously alerted her to the fact that something had happened. Um, and she came back home with me. And it was only when I got home I found out that she'd actually been murdered because it was like, I had no idea at that point. I, I, I didn't even think about how she died. It was just the fact that she, yeah, was, okay, yeah. she wasn't in the world anymore, if you like. it was That was the, the, the worst part. So, um, yeah, so when I got home was when I found out and we were just all like, what, what do you say? What do you do? What, and, yeah, what, how do you even start dealing with that? I, yeah, and Jeez. it just absolutely flummoxes and, and all of us. I remember my nan, obviously, she, she had a, a lot of expletives. I mean, she was, um, she was a little, like, five foot two, like, scout hard woman, right? You know, she was, she was a tough <laughs> old boot, my nan. Um, and, um, you know, to see somebody so tough um, broken yeah. um, was horrific because it was from that yeah, night on, obviously, that I moved in with my grandparents then. Um, so, you know, obviously my life changed completely in just that one little, you know, second yeah, of, moment, of being yeah. told. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so... What, what happened to your stepdad? So he um, went to hospital and, and apparently, you know, it was just all checking up on him making sure he was fine um and he basically said he couldn't remember anything he's obviously just saw black fucking hell we were like right okay thanks for that clearly you're just trying to get out of this um (sighs) and that was what he maintained throughout um so obviously you know the police built a case and the trial was set for um the february so this happened in the august so the trial was in the february and by the time we got to court, you know, everything was still going. So all of the witnesses had been called. So my nan was going to have to give evidence. My mum's friends were having to give evidence. Um, and, you know, we were all in the court waiting. And at the very last minute, he changed his plea to not guilt, uh, to, to guilty um, on the grounds Whoa. of diminished responsibility. But what that right. means is he's taken a responsibility for killing her, which he was never going to get away with. But it just meant that no trial would go forward. So the fact of the matter wouldn't be heard. So at that point, when he goes guilty, the judge can do nothing but, you know, um, convict him of murder and sentence him to life imprisonment. Okay. So that's what we think. Yes, he's got life imprisonment. That's exactly what we want. But life imprisonment doesn't mean life imprisonment. imprisonment. Doesn't mean life. Yeah. Um, so we assumed it was 25 years, like you see on TV programs and stuff like that. But it didn't even touch that either. Um, what? So his tariff was uh, was 11 years. So 11 years. Yeah, eleven years. So that—that's uh, it. So eleven years is basically when he can apply for parole. So Fuck, after that eleven f- years has passed, obviously all of our like sort of, we still have no idea what happened, how things happened, or you know, was we in pain, did, or anything like that. So we were obviously all these questions that we were still trying to, to you know, to answer ourselves. Um, but it was literally quite funny because as his um, tariff actually was approaching, when he can apply for parole, one of the like prerequisites for parole is that you as an offender must take responsibility for your actions in order to show that you can be rehabilitated back into communities and not pose a risk. Yeah. So all of a sudden he can, he can remember 
<laughs> you know, he can remember what's happened oh, because God. oh, he watched he watched a <sighs> film on the TV which triggered something, and oh, oh now he remembers exactly what it is. Um, but Jesus. once again, but once again, it's like the responsibility he shifted, basically saying it was in re- retaliation to my mum. Because she basically was saying, oh, you've got a small dick, I'm shagging somebody else because you can't get it up. Um, And when you know somebody, you you know that somebody is not like that. Um, And, you know, that's something that my mum would never have really said. Um, You know, I know she, I'm not saying she was perfect by any stretch of the matter, but that is just something she would never say. Because even though she could be, like, quite, you know, ballsy as well, like she was a scouser like me, Nan, um, she wasn't cruel she yeah. wouldn't have said something yeah. like that even if it was true um but uh, you know and obviously that was what he'd said and obviously the parole board went forward so we were asked to um attend the parole boards to see if we wanted to do um you know victim impact statements to see if we could maybe sway the decision for the um for the psychologist wow. the psychiatrist and the judge so we had to go to the prison um where he was at this point so this is 11 years hell. later and we were the, I think it was, they said, we were the, we were the eighth family to actually do this process because it was relatively new at that time. Um, yeah. So we walked into this room within the prison. Um, and because it was an open prison at this stage, I was just completely baffled because they were like little chalets. Um, and, you know, it was like, um, like when I worked in Pontins, honestly, you had all these little like sort of sheds, as we used to call them. And they had takeaway boxes there, their bottles of juice. And then there was the chapel what? and it had... And it had, like, on the chapel door, it said, like, sort of movie night on Thursday. And, and it was, like, oh it's God. really where he's blooming being punished. Um, so, oh yeah, I remember having to write out what I wanted to say. And then it had to be approved by the, um, the, the people holding the parole board. Um, so we walked in and we're literally sat on a table, which is probably maybe 10 foot long, maybe about 6 foot, 7 foot wide. I'm sat in one right. corner and he's sat on the other corner. Um, and I'm here and I'm like what 26 at this stage so I'm an adult now I'm like sort of I'm a police officer um, and I remember I was there and I I had this like thing and I'm just like shaking as I've got it and my sister couldn't go because she had tonsillitis so that an advocate read on her behalf and then my granddad read on behalf of my nan and granddad and the entire time he looked down um, I started to read mine and his like glare just shot up and he just stared straight at me Oh and it was, it was very much like, um, you know, you, it's like, don't forget who you're talking about here. Like, kind of, it was like, he didn't say anything, but it felt very much yeah. like that kind of intimidation tactic he would pull when we were kids yeah. about trying to overpower me. Um, and that's how it felt. But the more he stared at me, the more empowered I got, the more I oh, thought, good. well, fuck you. Good for you, <laughs> yeah. 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 Good for so you, mate. I, I read all through... Um, obviously what I had to say and it all had to be very structured and agreed by the um the people on the board um and it was just saying about you know how losing mum and what the effects it had on our life and and how difficult an upbringing we'd had because of it and obviously we've missed out on so many milestones <sighs> and um <clears throat> I, I read it all anyway and oh god it was it was teary it was bloody hard and then at the um, at the end of it, when I'd finished, right, I just, I don't know why, I just said something in addition. Obviously, it's meant to be vetted, but I just looked him straight in the face. 
I said, like, you know, I'm never going to forgive you for what you've done. I said, you and being as selfish as you are have destroyed me. You've destroyed my family and you are never, ever going to be forgiven for what you've done. I said, you are disgusting and I hate you and I'll hate you until the day that I die. And, you know, and they didn't stop me from saying that, which I was really surprised about. (laughs) I think they just felt... it was therapeutic. They they probably understood that I was still this kid trying to get it out and, you know, yeah. they allowed me to do it. It wasn't offensive. They would have stopped if it was. Yeah, you weren't being aggressive or anything. You just yeah. spoke, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, and, and that was, yeah. like, sort of really difficult. I remember leaving with my granddad and we just hugged it outside oh. and I was like, I'd, I'd never forget that feeling of just complete adrenaline. My hands were like yeah. this and it was just horrendous. God bless you. So um, after that... Um, we found out that he was unsuccessful in his parole application at that point, so we, right. they kept him in, um, and they said he could maybe apply again the following year. So him being him, which didn't surprise us, he then decided he was going to appeal his conviction. <laughs> so he then applied to the, sure. um, the, the High Court in London, stating that he was given um, poor counsel, um, he was suffering with mental health issues, um, and he was mis- misrepresented, so he went and basically said that he wanted an appeal. The appeal um, hearing was granted, so my sister and I had to go down to London to the High Courts to, to listen to oh, the trash God. that he, he couldn't remember for all those years. Then all of a sudden, all of the abuse that he'd perpetrated on Mum, he then basically flipped around and said that she <gasps> perpetrated it against him. Oh, wow. So What? The things that we we were aware that she'd had done to her, it was oh. basically the other way around. You know, she was a spendthrift. She wouldn't allow him to do this, that and the other. You know, he couldn't do anything without her being aggressive and hitting him and all this kind of stuff. And it was, we just sat there in utter disbelief, my sister and me. And we just looked at one another like, how the hell is he actually getting away with this? But the fact that he's got um, you going back every time he decides, like, he does remember or he wants to go up for pro, yeah. like, just, he knows he's dragging your family back into this. Yeah. Like, just fucking leave it. And that, and that's the, it. the narcissistic trait, isn't it? Yeah, we know yeah, that yeah, at that yeah. point, that is where they yeah. get their, like, kick from. Because they're, they're in that, like, sort of limelight that they crave so much that they can almost want to continue doing it because they like it. They like what they're getting from it. Yeah, um, absolutely. And once again, thankfully, um, you know, the, the High Lord Justices of that appeal saw through him and said to him, we believe this is just your last-ditch attempt to try and clear your, like, sort of murder conviction. Wow. And basically, we're not having it. So, you know, the conviction will stand. You know, you are going to get life. So life, again, doesn't mean life. It just means he's going to be on a life license. Um, So we were obviously made up. The following year, he went for parole. Only this time, he got it. And I'd said at this point, like, um, because I work in North Wales Police Area, I can be posted to anywhere. I can go to any town, any any sort of area. Please, can you make sure that he doesn't come into North Wales? No, no, we can't do that because, sadly, he has to be rehabilitated and he has to be in what? a community. So they said no. So I said, well, where are you going to put him? We can't disclose that to you for obvious reasons. Fine, fair enough. Oh, my That's days. <laughs> oh, it gets for better, believe sake. me. It gets even better. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, like, sort of in uniform one day and I'm on a night shift and I'm showing the new sergeant on my rotor the patch that we cover... Um, oh no, no! And then who's standing outside the local pub oh, in the town I that can't. I police? But him. 
he stood there smoking Fuck. a cigarette with a pint in his hand and he's just stood there laughing outside talking to people what the fuck? You know, I just remember thinking, I, I don't believe this. And, y- you yeah. know, this sergeant I was with didn't have a clue about it. So I was like, sort of just, I went super quiet. And he said to me later, and he said, you all right? I said, no, not really. Um, so obviously then I filled him in and he was like, right, we need to speak to bosses and stuff like that because it's oh. potentially a risk to you, really. If you come across him when you're out, what yeah. if something happens? And so I remember they said to me, like, do you want us to move you? I'm like, well, no, I'm not, I'm not being moved for him. He's done enough to my life. I'm settled where I work, and I'm damned if I'm moving to accommodate him. There's no way he's going to have that control wow. over me. That's so they were strength like, and a half, but, yeah, good <laughs> yeah. for you, mate. They said, well, if you can honestly say that you could deal with him if push come to shove. So, for example, if he was to, I don't know, have a cardiac arrest in front of me, I would have to resuscitate him. Ooh. Which I would do anyway yeah. because, you know, ultimately I, I I don't want him to be dead. I want him to live with this. I want him to know what he's done and well, you know yeah. Yeah, and I want I want him to, to, to be able to, to live with that. Um so yeah, they moved in there and then the fa- I didn't know where he lived at that point, obviously it was only because I'd seen him outside this pub, but then I went to another job and the police car that I was in was outside this one house and then as I was sat outside um, just about to go back into the um, to the car, he walks out of his house, and his car is parked bumper to bumper with the police car that I was in. Um, Stop. And yeah, so it was it was very very difficult. Um, how yeah, how I, on earth did you keep your cool? Like, uh, I yeah, mean, I'm this, I'm in awe of you. I really baffled. Am. I mean, you seem like such a happy, lovely guy. Like, are you genuinely this <laughs> lovely? Like, I. I can't imagine sitting there in a car and being face to face with that human again. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I remember the colleague I was with at the time. I just said, like, you know, just open the car door. I just need to go. Just open the door. I didn't explain to him what it was. I just said, just open oh. the door. I've just got to go. Um, Bless you. But I, I, I just remember like seeing him, and I just thought, oh, God, I, I can't even bear to be close. I've not, I'm not got a violent bone in my body to be honest. I'm not, I'm not like sort of an aggressor. I am a lover as opposed to a fighter. Um, and like people will always, always say to me, God, you're always smiling and stuff. And yeah. I generally do smile quite a lot. I think it's just something I do. And sometimes I could be talking about the most serious things like this and still be smiling and not, not meaning to. Um, but I guess it's just, just the way that I, I deal with things. And, um, so yeah, so he's, um, you know, that's, that's pretty much where, where he was and where he still is. And, you know, so he's, he's just he's, living his life. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, he's been out of prison now for eleven years. Oh, Jesus! Um, and is he but, still I mean, near If you look you? at the actual signs now, where you look, um, you can see that you know the things that the trigger warnings. I mean, Mum was thirty-six when she died, um, and oh, he was so he was fifty-four. So wow. you can see straight away that the age factor is there, and there are a lot of studies that obviously show. Um, yeah. that, you know, this, this age gap can be very, um, you know, telling of somebody who's about to be in a controlling relationship or a controller. Um, wow. and all of these more. So honestly, there's this, um, there's this lady, uh, professor, she's incredible, Jane Monkton Smith. She's got a book and it's called Control, Dangerous Relationships and How They End in Murder. I read it in like four hours, um, <laughs> because it just tells you, she goes to prisons and speaks to the actual perpetrators and she basically psychoanalyzes them and, and how these patterns are evident and things that you can spot, the red warning signs. And she does this thing wow. called 
um, the uh, domestic homicide timeline. So it's like eight stages. And these eight stages will um, show you how the person will get there and there'll be like an older person with a younger person. And it's down to little things like the grooming stages. So if you, for example, were to meet somebody in a pub and then they were to say to you, um, you know, uh, I'll get this drink for you. I'll get this drink for you, Natalie. It's on me. Don't worry, I'll get it. And you're like, oh, that's very kind of you. Thank you very much. So then you finish that and I'll get the next ones then. So you say, I'll go and get the other. No, no, I'm getting these ones as well. Let me get these drinks. And then all night this person buys you drinks and it's very, very nice because he's buying you these drinks. However, (laughs) what he's doing in another sense is controlling everything you're doing at a very early stage, but doing it in a manipulating way. So he's displaying this trait already that he's got this control over somebody and he knows how to control you and he's going to get you on side um, without you even realising. Because it's like they say, if you were to get in a relationship with someone, they're not going to show you their true colours at the very onset. Because if somebody told you you look fat in that dress on your first date, you're probably never going to go out with them again, are you? No. So yeah, they they're get obviously you going to try and sh- yeah, shower you with yeah, gifts, shower you with compliments and try and get you into that stage. You've just explained think, yeah, my my relationship in a nutshell, even down to the pub <laughs> thing. And that's just like, wow. Right. You re- yeah, yeah, really, really did just then. And this is what this timeline does, you see. It breaks down all these different stages, even down to the stages where they st- start to lose control. So there are a lot of um, a lot of people, a lot of cases that you might have heard of, um, you know, where you see how there is this massive shift, um, more so in stalking-type behaviours, when you have a yeah. victim um, who is obviously finishing that relationship and then that perpetrator is trying to regain control. They refer to them as the uh, the rejected stalker in that first place because obviously they're trying to regain that kind of control and power by getting that relationship back on track. So they start sending all the lovely flowers and the grooming cycle starts again. Look how lovely I could be. This is what you yeah. can still have. Um, and then obviously once you're back in that trap, that's when they start. But when they get to a certain stage where that control is not necessarily going to be um, handled properly and they're going to try and the victim is basically saying, no, I'm having none of it. The stalking typology then changes into what they call the, res- uh, the re- resentful stalker. And that's when the niceties turn into the aggression and the um, and all that sort of, you know, the sinister behaviours and all those sinister undertones start to come to the surface. And, yeah. um, you know, Professor Monson Smith explains this in her book. And, you know, I can only say it's it's the most powerful book to read if you're interested in, like, sort of the psychology and, and the, the different levels of control. Um, but even down to the very last stage when that perpetrator decides that they're going to commit that homicide, there's yeah. one stage where there's, in this book, and each each of the killers have basically changed the, the, the profile of what they actually do and the pattern. Um, so they're very rigid in their day-to-day routines and they'll continue doing what they do and everybody has to do what they do. And my stepdad did the same. So when he'd come home from his night shift, he'd always fold his uniform, put it over the banister, he'd wash out his sandwich box and his flask, leave it on the draining board to dry everything was in its place. It was only later on, like, we realised that on the day that he actually killed my mum, on the morning when he came home from work, his uniform was chucked in a pile on the floor, his sandwiches and everything was still in his bag. Um, So his his order has changed because his order is how he, as a control freak, keeps control. So once he's lost that control, and at this point he has, because my mum's having none of it and she's saying, I want a divorce, then how else do you regain... How else do you regain control other than completing and taking out the ultimate and obviously killing somebody? So it matters not now where my uniform is because I'm not going to need that later. Wow. I don't need that my sandwiches. Is... 
I mean, it's it's horrific, and this is going to say and sound really wrong, but it's so fascinating when you start oh, no, to see I, the brain yeah, totally. and like how things work and what was going through his head at that point. What mm. like it's just bad. Hey, I'm so so sorry that you've yeah. been through this, and yeah. I mean, your life is so incredible. Like the things you're doing for survivors and for people who need help is insane. Like it's the one amazing thing about this podcast. We speak to so many people who have picked their lives up, changed them into something so incredible. Yeah. And they have every reason. And a lot of people would use these reasons to be an asshole. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, To be a horrible person and use it as an excuse for the rest of their lives. But we talk some. We talk to some incredible people, and you are honestly one of them. You, it's insane. Like and what you've been see, through is unreal. Yeah, and, it's crippling and, uh, what it's, you've been through, and yet here and I you think are. It's, it's exactly amazing. That. I mean, I was just one of the fortunate ones to have like grandparents who could take me in and look after me. And yeah. you know, when I was fifteen, you know, it was the, I literally it happened in the August. I was meant to go back to do my last year GCSEs in that September so I missed like sort of the first three months of school um so my nan gave me that like sort of wide berth to try and like sort of you know get my head around it um and then just like sort of that she just switched and she went into this like super mode of like sort of right get your ass into gear and you know you need to do this you need to get your studies done and then it was like I wasn't allowed out I had to do all my coursework and she really did like sort of drive this militant directive at me and it was I think just what I needed to to reinstate that normality because obviously as a child you know you're coping but you can you like you see you can stray you can end up becoming this I could have ended up being Mm -hmm. this like spoiled well look what's happened to me and and like sort of this over-entitled like arse or something um, but you know, my nan was the one, and my granddad as well, kept me um, on that grounded level and made me realise that you know, this has happened to you. You've got to deal with it, and you need to try and move on mm. with it. And I think we wow. all understood from the very offset that we were never, ever, any of us going to get over it. No. And yeah. the old cliche is that you just learn to live with it, and that was very much, I think, what happened. And I think, as a child, you're very resilient. I think you. You do, and when you go back to school, obviously you've got distractions, you've got all this, and then it was only when, like, sort of, I kind of got into adulthood is that when I started to realise actually it's not as it's not as easy as as as, yeah. as that. Um, and then, like, the the odds things started to happen, like, sort of, what are these pins and needles and these pins and needles in my face and my hands and my legs and why can't I breathe properly and and then yeah, all this anxiety just kicked off and started and. Mm-hmm that went on for for years and years and still does and and then that sort of kind of you know um developed into to to horrific night terrors where you know I'd hallucinate and see awful things and you know my mental health took a real bashing um and like so you know I I suffered suffered with PTSD um or PTS as some people refer to it as now um anxiety Depression, not really as much. Sometimes I can get it, um, but yeah. I've been medicated for for my anxiety and terrors and everything for for quite a number of years now. And like, yeah. I, I don't find it. Um, uh, not ashamed to talk about it because obviously, if I had a broken leg, I'd I'd get a plaster cast for that, you know. Yeah. So if I've got yeah, a broken absolutely. head, why not try and fix that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, I literally had amazing support from the force that I worked for. They were just phenomenal. They were so supportive and. 
you know, they put me through lots of different, like, sort of, um, you know, psychotherapies and uh, not psychotherapy, whatever you call it, psychi- psychiatrist, whatever. I can't even think what it's called. <laughs> um, but basically, yeah. it was um, it was like um, CBT, so cognitive brain um, therapy. So basically, trying to um, re- realign and rechannel your cognitive thought processes. So it's sort of like disassociating the trauma to try and make you cope yeah. with it more. So I had this one triggering thing that was constantly in my head. And if I ever thought about it, I'd just go absolutely, you know, um, and obviously this CBT helped me to control that because it's like dissociated. So I've got a positive attachment to that negative now. So whenever Mm -hmm. I think of that, there's something positive that attaches to it. And that was through CBT and another thing called EMDR, which is eye movement. um, Oh, crikey, God, this is a long time. Eye movement, something repeat it's basically it's like sort of they do something to your eyes flicker and they talk you through it and it's like a narrative and it's sort of again it's just re rechannels everything wow it's wow. so incredible never heard how of it that. works no i haven't emdr yeah. eye movement eye movement desensitization something i can't think of what the last one is um <laughs> i'm gonna have to google that That's so yeah honestly emdr and it's it's like you can do it in many ways so my my one did it with the with a finger so just in the peripheral so you get that like sort of movement and then obviously a narration of obviously what you're talking what you're going through or they can do it by tapping on your hand um but yeah really really clever and it really did help me out and um I'm, i'm very a massive advocate when i say about you know going forward to get that kind of support because it's absolutely invaluable yeah. because i i didn't yeah. even realize i was that bad until i i identified that i was that bad and by somebody else yeah. and i think you know there's so much stuff that happens that you don't really have that time to to take stock and, and actually see everything so for me that was kind of i hit a brick wall and it was like shit this journey's been quite a long one and something's got to give and something just has and i kind of had yeah. that little not a breakdown as such, but I kind of had that like sort of, you know, that light bulb moment of like, yeah, something needs to change here because something's not actually right. Yeah, of course. And thankfully, you know, I've been able to to work with these like sort of amazing people because my job has been so great. Um, And, you know, it's allowed me to to, to identify the issues that I had. So I've been able to to deal with them. Um, That's amazing. I think for me now it's like sort of the like you say the work that I do working with victims and it's been the driving force because talking about my mum number one it's it helps me to talk about her so that people still see who she is they still hear yeah. who she is um, and um, obviously it's that it's that keeping her like sort of spirit around yeah yeah um, but also I find it it's like a therapy because for me um, and it's it's something whereby I kind of get um, something from it when I know that something I've said has that profound effect on somebody who's being victimised or somebody yeah. who's going through similar can yeah. can use my my experiences to try and, and like sort of promote their like sort of getting better and to, to find that sort of freedom. Mm-hmm. So for me yeah. that's that's like sort of probably one of the best therapies I can have because I've worked with so many incredible people who have been subject to it. Um, and you know and I still work with them and they, they support me on some of the like sort of initiatives and and things that I do and you know these these people who we've kind of crossed paths with on a in a negative like sort of context have, have yeah. become like friends um and you know we all prop each other up and we all know that we've all got you know these these demons and these these awful things happened but through these like sort of horrible things we've met some fabulous people as yeah. well so you, you do wow. learn that 
you know, your issue. And when people say, you know, there's always somebody worse off, I can always guarantee there is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know some yeah. people who have been through similar, but some of their experiences, I've like sort of, crikey, how the hell have you coped with that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because it, it, I don't know, it's just horrendous some of the things people go through. And like, sort of, I manage mine now and I kind of identify it and I know what it is. And like people yeah. still get like that moment when I say something about it, but for me, this is just like sort of my everyday life yeah. now. So I'm like used yeah. to that. Um, it's so it's, incredible, yeah. Like, your ability you are, to be able to turn everything around, like, is truly insane. inspiring. Like, it, absolutely. I, if those people who you say you know might be worse off than you are, how did you get through that? If they're anywhere near you at that point, they'll be absolutely fine because. It truly is inspiring how you've turned everything around to help not only yourself and your family but others as well. It's it's amazing. You're so um, you're yeah, literally just talking to you. You're such a like you're such a bright light. Does yeah. that make sense? Like <laughs> you are literally even just through freaking Zoom. Like the way you've spoken, <laughs> the way you speak about your mum. It's so like like Farah said. It's so inspiring, but it's also just really lovely and warm. Mm-hmm. Like it's. You are not defined by what happened to you at all, which is so incredible. But at mm-hmm. the same time, you're using it to make the world a safer place for others. And that's just so beautiful. Like, fucking mate, good for you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> And that's wow. the thing. It's like, you know, that, 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 that what you've just said there about, you know, having something define me. It's like, I've said this a few times when I've done things. Yeah, it hasn't defined me, but in a, in a way it has. But it's defined me in a way that's sort of a lot yeah. different to how people would expect it to have defined me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's defined yeah. me by giving me kind of, um, you know, a push and a drive to make those changes. And, you know, if yeah. I can, it's like that saying, isn't it? You know, you might not be able to change the world for everyone, but if you can change the world for one person, that's plenty, you know. And that's if you the can, difference. then that's, yeah. Yeah. it is. And, you know, that one person, you know, my will changed. And because of what happened to my family, it's obviously allowed me to work with victims and hopefully you know, the benefit from my um, working with them has helped them and hopefully further down the line, other people, they help as well. Yeah, yeah, paying it forward. Yeah, so it just kind of cascades. And I think, you know, the more we speak out about it, as as heart-wrenching as it can be, um, you know, it's vitally important that we do because, you know, victims a lot of the time don't know that they're victims. So until they actually hear that, you know, abuse can take many forms and it isn't yeah. just about somebody being you know um slapped or punched mm-hmm. or kicked you know it's those like sort of those controlling and those like sort of awful awful like sort of you know things that people will do to somebody underhanded and you know yeah. the gaslighting all of those things that we know comes mm-hmm. under control and coercion and it's just just terrifying to think that people don't actually identify it because they're so like um, yeah. depleted of confidence. They can't yeah. even identify or manage behaviours themselves because they just don't know it exists. Because yeah. they're so dependent on that perpetrator that they believe everything they say, and yeah. it's it's just so sad Terrifying. that these manipulators can can have that control and power over someone. Yeah. And that's yeah. why we like to talk about it as openly as we do yeah. here, because you know, like I said to Nat, I was very young. I was twenty three when I met my uh, partner at the time. And I, I didn't even really know what domestic abuse was. You don't talk about it at school. You don't yeah. really talk about it at all. 
at any point, you never hear anybody whisper. If you do, I think I probably only saw it in films or to the extreme of, I know this is a stupid, well, it's not a stupid example, but you know the film Enough with Jennifer... With Jennifer... Like, we, like, yeah, that's Jennifer probably, yeah. So in my brain, that's probably what I thought that was yeah. because I didn't know it came in different forms. I didn't know how it began. I didn't know what love bombing was. I didn't know what gaslighting was. It's not something you ever spoke about at school or with your parents so I had no clue absolutely no clue it even existed apart from what I'd seen in films which is always the extreme so I was like well I'm fine that's not happened to me yet you know it's just what this type of love is yeah it's just but it's and then like it's just start to chip away isn't it yeah 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 because it's like I was saying, like when I was growing up, it was all like the arguments. That's all we heard, and to us, it was just normal. And then obviously, it only yeah. takes like you just said there. When that ultimate happens, mm-hmm. is when you think, "Crikey, this is domestic abuse." When in actual fact, the whole thing was. Yeah. But you just don't realise yeah. at the you time. Don't, yeah, you really like with my situation. I it wasn't until years later that I had to go. Oh, I didn't deserve that. I didn't ask for that. It was wrong. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it was totally my fault. Like, yeah, of course. That's, yeah, the that's, gaslight, isn't it? it? Absolutely. And I would never in my head have been like, I'm a victim, I'm being abused. I was like, I'm a fuck up, I'm worthless. And it's not until you finally go, oh, fuck. And it all hits you that Mm -hmm. you then need help and you then have to heal from it. And it's so incredible what the work you're doing. And like you said, if you can just help one person and I'm pretty positive you're helping a fuck ton more than just Mm -hmm. one. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But we've, we've spoken your ear off for the past like hours so i'm so sorry it's but it's you're, all right it's fine <laughs> you are so amazing thank you so much for giving us your time like yeah your story no is incredible and your mum would be so unbelievably proud of you mm-hmm. like thank Jesus. you very much i appreciate yeah. that that's yeah. really kind thank you oh, <laughs> honestly i'm baffled you are amazing you are you've inspired me yeah. i'm honestly you like nat said you are a light you i've just yeah. i don't even think I've, I've barely spoke this entire episode which is rare for me <laughs> i think all i've said is fuck and oh my god i've just i forgot i was even recording i just was sat with like my hand on my chin at one point listening to you so but i just yeah just thank you so so much for helping us you know if there's anything i can ever do in relation to like any advice that you need around like anything just let me know and if you need anything, if I can help in any way, just let me know and I'll, I'll try my best. Oh, thank you so thank much. You so <laughs> much. <laughs> we will let you go, but you're an you're an absolute dream. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. One million <laughs> times over. Oh, it's you. lovely to meet you both. You too, darling. Yes, and have, right, have a great hike. Enjoy your hike. Be safe. <laughs> I will please. do. I will do. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> Take Thanks, care. Darling. Nice to speak bye. to you. Bye, bye. 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 Wow. And there we have it, ladies and gents. That um, was fucking crazy. Mm. Yeah. Like, um, you guys can't see. We need to do more, like, videos of the podcast rather than this. We do. But the whole time, he was just so inspiring. Like, I, when he said, he's like, oh, sometimes I, like, laugh and smile at in, inappropriate moments. I was like, I do that all the time. Like, when you're telling someone bad news, and you, you giggle and you're like, oh, I shouldn't yeah. have done that. But it is. But even when he was speaking about his mother, he had the biggest smile on his God, face yeah. and like talking about his sister and you know his grandparents and everything like that. He just had the biggest, yeah, and the nicest things to say, regardless of 
yeah. the negativity that came along with those memories. And like how professional I mean, of him, like to be a policeman mm-hmm. and like the fact that they've said to him, like, could you do like the care of duty that you have to do? And he was like, yeah, I would. Mm-hmm. And you're like, that comes from a whole the bit, other strength. When he said, when he said about the cars were like bumper to oh. bumper, that must've taken some strength because i feel i probably shouldn't say this but <laughs> i feel like some form of like animalistic yeah, 100%. i don't even know would come over me and i don't even think i'd have control like i think i'd just be like ah! yeah, that's like, family i as don't well. like, even fuck. sorry headphone users about that yeah so <laughs> see that was just me putting me in the moment an outburst so the fact that he's so like calm collected and centered yeah. and just was like I just need to get in the car. I need to get in the car. Shut the door. Like, Fuck. wow. That's 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 on another level. It's crazy, isn't it? Like, even right, mm. I was thinking about it. So my mum's part of this Facebook group of the local community. It's yeah. the most toxic Facebook group I've ever seen in my life. Oh, oh babe. It's just, <laughs> it's... Is it like... Uh, George from number 10 didn't pick his dog shit up today. Yeah. Like one of them. Yeah. And like, yeah. you can't say anything without someone else being like, wah, 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 or wah, wah, wah. like, mm-hmm. there was a post about fireworks on there. This is what made me leave the group. Not that I don't live there anymore, but like, yeah. You were in the group. Oh, babe, I was Look in the group. You. Um, <laughs> lockdown, babe. Keep myself very entertained in these dramas. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's um, true. I'll let you But off. someone put about fireworks, fireworks going off at like one in the morning. And someone was like, hey, who's ever doing the fireworks? Please, like, stop. I have a baby. And someone else was like, oh, it's just kids having fun. Like, leave them alone. And then someone else was like, rah, rah, rah. and it's one of them kind of groups that you can't, you, everyone's after a fight. Um, and yep. my mum put something in about, we'd have a taxi service kind of like screw us over. And, rah, rah. and my mum just put in a group being like, hey, has anyone used this taxi service before? And then they said something and it all kicked off. And someone went for my mum on Facebook, like, basically being an absolute ass. Babe. What? Ah, uh, You went in. Uh, of course I did. It's my mum. Mm-hmm. And I remember like yeah. being like, oh, I need to leave this because this is pointless. And it, that was just a Facebook comment. Do, do yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, the strength he must show every day to know this man is out mm-hmm. living his life, going about... Yeah. Whereas he is definitely like oh. the bigger person. I don't th- even think that's the right thing to say, but you do understand what I mean. Yeah, like um, how? How? Because I have the same. I don't know if I've told this story either, but when I told you about my mum's um, ex husband, so who she remarried after my dad, um, yeah. and he was in the military of defence, and he was an alcoholic abuser, yeah. and I was only sixteen at the time, seventeen was this maybe. The pub? And yeah, yes. this was, yeah, so he lived in this, a different yeah. country. I'm not, I'm going to say anything else because I don't want to narrow it down. Yeah. But he lived in another country. So my mum moved and me and my, I'll say, other best friend. Rude. So that Nat doesn't press stop. and <laughs> um, just cuts me off. Rude. Uh, we went over for like a summer holiday thing because obviously it's like a free holiday. But actually it was horrific because I had to, yeah, it's a free holiday, but I had to like be with this person who wasn't my dad and blah 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 anyway teenage problems and he was awful he was awful to me um he referred to me as a parasite which was fun i've never been called anything lower thank you um yeah and yeah lovely and obviously my mum we left we packed up and like crossed the border it was very traumatic actually um and but before this i literally we were out in a pub um 
don't tell anyone because <laughs> uh, I was obviously like 16 drinking pints of Heineken. Sorry. It's fine. Uh, and I did look older. Don't worry. Not that that makes it any better. Nah. Uh, I'm digging a hole. I'm going to I'm gonna keep talking. <laughs> I mean, um, I was 29. I'm like, can I get arrested? No, like, you uh, No. Uh, so yeah, so I turned around and he, my mum was, I remember her sat in like a booth mm. at the pub and he was stood over her, over her, like with his hands on the table and she was just all like hunched over and he was just in her ear and the expression on his face and he was like pointing in her face with his other hand and he was just, I don't even know what he was saying, but it was so aggressive yeah. that I literally just saw red and... Little me, he was like nothing to me at that point, went over, grabbed him. And this is a guy who was in like the MOD and just rammed him up against a wall. And I don't even know where I got the strength from. And I just rammed him up against this wall and pinned him up against it. And I was like, I and I just went, don't fucking ever, ever touch my mum like that again. But then I just went (laughs) and just like crumbled into a ball because the emotions kicked in. But I, I lost control. I lost all control because I just saw that. Yeah. And it was it's my mum. And I just didn't know... What, everybody in the pub just, like, you could hear a pin drop. It was But it's, it was it's a those, lot. like you said, um, it's those animal instincts that protect. Yeah. And it's, so it, yeah absolutely. And I mean, what, like, Mike's just been... Through, like, all the things he was saying about a childhood, like, hearing yeah. that kind of pain and violence is no way to then develop how you feel like it's amazing that he has come out of this and he is lovely and he wants to make a difference in the world and he is helping Mm -hmm. survivors it's just inspiring he's an angel he is he's a bloody angel he is so um we hope you guys enjoyed that one and if you were triggered we do apologize um we Mm want to hear from you guys we want to hear your stories please email us in at takebackthebeattour at gmail.com um yeah thank you all so much for your support so far we will be announcing some more exciting stuff soon um but we're just Very gonna we're, we're yeah. gonna live in this moment right now so we're still on tour so yes you know we're, still, we're, we're not at the end of that come see us in brighton on the 15th of 16th june 16th of june oh every time so you've done yeah Why literally do we do that? when we first announced it you were like you're gonna have to do the dates because i keep doing it wrong <laughs> like see it 50 16th of june at the folklore rooms in brighton Come say hi. Yeah, I'll turn up the day before, clearly. But <laughs> you know, be be, if you want to meet me, I'll be there on the 15th, obviously. <laughs> just outside, waiting. Can you let me in? It's like, hey, guys. <laughs> I'm just really early for sound check. Thank you. <laughs> right. We love you all. Thank you so much. And we will see you again yep. next week. Woo-hee. Love you. Bye. bye. We do apologise if anyone was triggered by any of the dialogue we use today. We are still learning and we are only just beginning to talk about our own experiences. We're aware that trigger warnings are completely different for everybody, so please bear with us. We love you all. We also want to hear your experiences. If there's anything you'd like to share with us, any stories, anything you are happy to discuss on this podcast, you can stay anonymous if you would like. Please send us an email at takebackthebeattour at gmail.com. That's takebackthebeattour at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media at Take Back the Beat. Thanks, guys. We love you all.